Welcome, future doctors, to another episode of the Future Minority Doctor Podcast with Dr. Sulma and Marina, where we bring you conversations to empower and inspire you to contribute to your community and the world by becoming a doctor. future doctors it i don't know about you dr zu but it's starting to get cold here in utah how's the weather in san diego as a californian this is cold you might laugh at me but yes hey I <laughs> we're was like a 60 degrees and we're like brr and you guys are probably like oh that's wonderful weather <laughs> i know i know definitely my perspective has definitely shifted because i spent most of my life in california and now um, I do think of 60 as like a nice day now compared to before, <laughs> but we're, we're getting down in like the thirties and forties. Wow. Bit, so, yeah. yeah. That's but really cool. <laughs> you get used to it. You get yeah. used to it. And the fall is really pretty. We get a lot of nice, beautiful yellow and red leaves. So it's not all bad, <laughs> but anyway, back to our episode today, we'd like to briefly touch on the topic of reapplying to medical school and specifically tips for students who might find themselves in the position of reapplying or thinking, you know what, I haven't gotten any interviews yet, or it's late in the cycle and things are not looking good. So students also who are thinking that they might need to reapply. And that's really important because it's important to think about it earlier rather than later. As you know, the process of applying to medical school is expensive and it takes a long time. It's a whole year long process. Just the fees for about 20 to 30 primary and secondary applications can cost about $3,000 or more. So it's important to really make sure that you're ready to apply before you do. And in fact, we have an entire episode on that topic. It's episode 47 and it's called, Am I Ready to Apply to Medical School? If you are deciding and you need some guidance, please go and listen to that one. Now, if you're in the position of having already applied to medical school and things just aren't looking good or you already know that you didn't get in anywhere, we have some tips for you today. Starting with tip number one. First of all, and very important, please do not skip this step. Take a deep breath and tell yourself it's going to be okay. Getting a rejection can be really hard, can be really emotional. It can take a toll on your self-esteem. Now, your family and friends, they might be confused. They might be wondering, wait, why did you like take all these classes and put in all this effort? And, and wait, you're not going to be a doctor? So at least not yet, right? Take the time to acknowledge your emotions and allow space to feel them. We say this over and over again because we really believe that. <laughs> that that is important. If you try to suppress feelings and emotions, they just build up and then they just explode out at a really bad time later. So don't do that, please. It's okay to have these feelings and it's okay to allow yourself space to feel them. You are human. We are all humans and emotions are part of the human experience. And very importantly, they're part of becoming a compassionate and empathic doctor who is going to be able to understand the feelings that your patients go through, right? Mm -hmm. Also, if you haven't listened to episode 44 on dealing with failure and rejection, now is a good time to do that as well. Okay, so once you've opened the release valve and let the pain out, reassure yourself <laughs> that this is not the end. Just because things didn't work out this time around, it does not mean that this is the end. It does not mean you are doomed to failure forever. There are many people who reapply to medical school, and many of them, I would say most of them, who really put in the effort end up getting accepted. Rejection does not mean that you have to give up. 
pick yourself up, dust yourself off, examine the road ahead and how you fell, and then keep moving forward. Would you agree, Dr. Z? Yes, you want to learn from your past experience and see how you can improve it. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah. And just don't give up, right? Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Speaking of moving forward. So tip number two is conduct an autopsy of your failed application. So by that, I mean, look really closely and carefully at what might have gone wrong. I see way too many people who get rejected and then they assume that the reason they got rejected was because of their MCAT or their GPA alone. So maybe you had like a 503 and it's really easy to say, well, my score was too low. I need to retake the MCAT. I need to get a 510 or a 515. And then they focus all of their effort on just retaking the MCAT and they ignore their clinical experiences, their volunteer experiences, their research experiences, their shadowing, the quality of their personal statement and the quality of their activity descriptions or their interview skills. So if you focus too much on just those numbers, you might be missing something because I'll let you in on a little secret. GPA and MCAT are not the only thing that schools care about. Dr. Z, when you think about the type of person that you want to be your doctor or your child's doctor or your family's doctor, is GPA and MCAT score the only thing that matters? Not at all. I will say up until today, as a practicing physician, I've never been asked that by a patient. (laughs) They will not care. They care about um, the other things that I'm sure Dr. Marina will talk about because it just really shows what great doctors are. We're not just numbers, GPA and MCAT. There's so much more to be a good physician. Absolutely. Yeah. You have to have good communication skills. You have to be compassionate. You have to have a good bedside manner. <laughs> you, mm-hmm. like, you have to understand the social factors and economic factors that influence health for people. So it's much more complicated, right? Yeah. Now, that's not to say that schools don't care about those scores. Of course, schools do care about these metrics, mm-hmm. just not as much as you might think. So if you have an MCAT score that is less than 500 or 501, then yes, that might have been the problem, especially under 500. The chances of gaining admission with a sub 500 score are definitely lower. And many schools use the 500 to 502, maybe 503 threshold for even considering applications. So make sure that you're only applying to schools who will consider your MCAT score. (laughs) That's a mistake that I've seen made where someone has a 498 and they apply to a school where they clearly state on their website and in the MSAR that you have to have a 502 to be considered. So don't waste your money, right? Mm -hmm. Don't do that (laughs) because it's just an algorithm they use. It's automatically going to go into the reject pile. A person is never going to look at it. Also, if you have less than a 3.2 GPA, then yes, your GPA might have been a big reason for not getting admissions. However, if your metrics were above these levels, so an MCAT above roughly 500, and a GPA roughly above 3.2 to 3.4. It really depends on the trajectory of your GPA too. If you have those numbers, then here are a few things that might have gone wrong. So first, your application was not well written or it had some red flags in it. I really cannot emphasize enough how important it is to give yourself enough time to write your application and edit it and edit it again and get feedback. Your personal statement has to be clear. It has to be compelling. It has to be free of grammatical and other errors. 
and it really needs to explain why you want to be a doctor. Your activities need to be clear and they need to keep your reader interested. They can't be too technical and boring because someone reading through a pile of 20 applications, they're going to fall asleep. They're going to think you're not interesting. You also need to have at least 12 activities and ideally 15 when we're talking about the AMCAS application if you want to look competitive. Also, your written application cannot have any red flags. <laughs> if you come off as arrogant, as naive, as judgmental towards certain groups of people, that is a quick way to get your application just thrown into the rejection pile. The school will not tell you that this is the reason, most likely, <laughs> but if you have someone who's a good mentor or an editor look at it or someone who has experience in admissions, they might tell you. It's just hard to find someone who is going to be able to read it in that way and know. Now, if you need more guidance on writing a great personal essay or writing great activity descriptions, we have episodes on those topics. Go and listen to them, please. All right. We have examples on our website as well. Also, consider joining our application coaching program, which is a year-long program that offers one-on-one -on -one support, editing, and interview coaching throughout the whole year-long application process. And you can find details about that on our website, futureminoritydoctor.com. Applications are usually due in March or April of each year. Okay, reason number two that you might have gotten rejected, you bombed your interview or you displayed red flags. Sometimes a person can look great. They can look at, like the most fantastic applicant on paper, but then when you actually meet them in an interview, <laughs> there can be some red flags or some concerns, right? Um, some applicants just get really nervous on their interview day and end up repeating themselves or struggling to think clearly, and they struggle to come up with really thoughtful and organized responses to the questions, especially on the mini medical interviews, the MMI interviews, because those tend to be a little harder. Now, I definitely remember being nervous on my interview days, especially the very first time, but I really tried to talk myself into just acting naturally. I just kept telling myself over and over again, just be yourself, just be yourself, just be yourself. If they like my true and authentic self, then this is a good fit, right? And so that kind of helps to take the pressure off. <laughs> what about you, Dr. Zhu? Do you remember being nervous during interviews? Yeah, especially that first one. Um, my first one was in New York. So not only was it not in my home state, but somewhere mm -hmm. else very different. But I was, I I mean, I was shaky, but I, I use the same approach as you did. You know, when, when I started, I said, you know what, I need to be myself because I need to know that this is a good fit for me as well. So I kind of just kept telling myself that. And then usually about, I would say about like, 15 minutes into the interview, it's kind of where you just start relaxing because then it becomes a dialogue and you're just being yourself. So just don't try to say what they want to hear, but speak truth, but be yourself. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah. And I think when I do practice interviews with people, <laughs> the more that they can just act like they're talking to me outside of an interview setting, mm -hmm. the much better they do, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like mm -hmm. uh, the other day we did a group coaching as part of our application coaching program and we did a practice MMI. And one of the students, she was, you could just tell that she was nervous and she was kind of having trouble articulating her thoughts during the little six minute MMI practice. And then afterward I said, okay, reflect on your performance. What do you think? And then I said, so like, 
you know, now having tried it once, like, what would you have said? And then when she told me what she would have said, it was so clear and perfect and didn't seem nervous at all. And so just the performance with the anxiety and the performance minus the anxiety is world of difference for her. So I sent her the video of that so she could kind of watch herself and learn from that experience so that she can try to step into that more natural state during her real interview. Now, apart from just being nervous, there are other things that can happen during the interview. Some applicants just say something that reveals personal prejudices or naivete or lack of experience. For example, if you get asked a question about physician burnout and you really haven't done much shadowing or minimal shadowing and you haven't worked alongside a physician before or done significant, you know, maybe interpretation or scribing or working as a medical assistant or something where you see the day to day work of a physician, then you might really struggle to come up with a response to the question that sounds, you know, articulate and well thought out and reveals that you know what you're getting into, right? Or if you get asked a question about how you would deal with a patient who keeps missing appointments and you don't have experience working with people who don't have access to reliable transportation or have limited financial means, then your response might come across as naive or making assumptions that just reveal your lack of life experience. So these are just a few examples of how you can come across during an interview, even if you don't realize it, right? All right. And also, I've seen some applicants who come across as overconfident or even arrogant during their MMI or their traditional interviews. And this can be one of the biggest red flags that I see because schools want students who are teachable, students who will get along with their peers and with their future patients. They don't want students who think they already know it all or will have terrible bedside manner, or will just like rub other students the wrong way, right? Because that creates a problematic environment. Now, if you think that you might struggle with coming off in this way, then practicing with someone who will give you honest feedback is really, really important. Have you ever seen that happen, Dr. Z? Yeah, I've seen like when some students come off as arrogant, and I would say... You have to be open to the feedback as well, because sometimes you'll shut down. And I would strongly recommend practicing an interview with somebody who doesn't know you, because yeah. if it's a friend or a family, they probably will extra sugarcoat it. You need someone who can give you very good subjective feedback and really so that way you can learn from it. And I mean, we're not perfect. Sometimes I can come across and say something and then I think back retrospectively, wait, did that come across wrong? I didn't mean it that way. But really just looking into it and how you're coming across it, because you only have that one chance as you're interviewing. Like this is the window to who you are and you want to make sure that you're presenting yourself right, but as a good person. Definitely. hundred percent agree. Yeah. Another reason you might not have gotten in was that you applied to too few schools or to the wrong schools. Now, just before this episode, we released another one on choosing the medical schools that you apply to and also choosing the one that you ultimately go to. It's really important to come up with a good school list. So please don't apply. Like if you have a 3.2 GPA and a 501 MCAT, please do not apply to only three schools. That is not a good way to maximize your chances. How many medical schools did you apply to, Dr. Z? 
I applied to 12 medical schools. I am guilty, I think, of applying to too few schools because I was a very mediocre MCAT performer. Mm-hmm. Um, and my GPA was good. I was more so the one that showed an increasing slope each year. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I did struggle in the beginning with college. So I probably should have applied to more and I perhaps could have gotten an acceptance. I got waitlisted on all of my medical school interviews. And the only one that did, they temporarily accepted me. I had to complete a one-year program. And if I was successful in that program, then I would be accepted. So Mm -hmm. it wasn't 100% acceptance. But if I would have applied to more schools, maybe I would have gotten accepted somewhere. Yeah. And you know what? Sometimes you just don't know what you don't know. So that's Mm -hmm. why telling you, right? Please (laughs) apply to lots of schools. You don't have to apply to 50 schools, but the average is around 20. And you really need to consider your own situation, your own experiences, the strength of your MCAT and GPA together with all of your experiences. I realize that the process is expensive. We just mentioned about $3,000, right? That's a lot of money for a lot of you. Some applicants try to save money by just applying to a handful of schools and just praying and hoping for the best, right? And once in a while, that works out. <laughs> but if you're, <laughs> exactly. And again, if you're a really strong applicant, then go ahead and do that. It'll probably work. <laughs> but <laughs> an average or below average applicant in any of these domains, then you really should be a applying to at least 15 to 20 schools, closer to 20. I know it's expensive, but it can be even more expensive to reapply if you end up in that boat of getting rejected. So please consider like doing it right the first time, if at all possible. Right. But again, it doesn't happen. That's why we're, it doesn't happen for everyone. So that's why we have this episode because maybe you just didn't know what you didn't know last time and that's okay. Right. It's a process of learning of evolving and you can definitely do better the second or even third time around if that's the boat that you're in. All right. And also we've mentioned this, we mentioned this in the last episode, please consider applying not only to MD, schools or just DO schools, but maybe apply to both depending on your application and your preferences. Do your research and also listen to our episode on DO schools to make sure that you know what you will need to prepare because sometimes the requirements such as the letters of recommendation are different for the MD versus the DO schools. Okay. Another reason you might not have gotten an acceptance this time is that you don't have enough clinical experience research experience, volunteer experience, or something else that the school is looking for. One of the deficiencies I see most on applications is lacking clinical experience, especially quality clinical experience. Shadowing is one thing. It's very passive. You're just kind of like standing next to a doctor for like four hours, six hours, eight hours, whatever. And you're just watching what they do, but it's not really engaging. Like you're not doing anything personally. And the doctor may have limited time to talk to you about what their experience has been of being a physician. You might have had limited time to ask questions because it was a busy day in clinic or something like that. So shadowing is one thing, but I would say in terms of the quality of clinical experiences, shadowing is towards the bottom. It's still important. And most medical schools will require you to have some shadowing hours, but it is not the best type of clinical experience. I would say the things that really make an applicant really strong are things like working as a medical assistant, working as a scribe, 
what else? I'm trying to think of some other ones, like things that you're doing where you're actually like engaging in the physician patient interaction. Right. And so in the scribe, like you're documenting everything that's going on and you're learning some of the terminology, you're learning how the physician asks questions, you're learning how the physician comes from asking questions to doing a physical exam to then coming to a diagnosis and plan. So that really gives you like a better perspective on what the day-to-day work of a physician is like, right? The same thing Mm -hmm. with the medical assistant. You're taking their vitals, you're getting their chief complaint. You are helping the physician to troubleshoot when there are issues. You're helping to connect the patient to resources when the doctor is too busy. You're helping the doctor follow up on labs and imaging and all of that stuff, right? So it's just more engaged and you're getting a better viewpoint about what that work really is. Now, there are other things like working as a CNA, a certified nursing assistant. You might not be working next to a physician all the time but you are getting a lot of good experience directly with patients. So yeah, that's kind of what I mean by clinical experience is the clinical experience you have going to show me on your application that you really know what it's like to be a physician, like the day-to-day grind of being a doctor, right? And if your application does not clearly show me that, then I'm going to wonder, are you truly ready to commit to the rigors of medical school and medical training? After all, medical school will challenge you, right? Dr. Z, did med school challenge you? <laughs> In every sense of the way. <laughs> I, I did want to add, though, just with the examples that Dr. Marina said, it doesn't mean you have to run out and become a medical assistant or a no. nurse or whatever it might be. There's other ways that you can get that same type of clinical experience as well. Like, for example, if you volunteer with a medical mission organization, right, mm-hmm. or just a medical organization within your own community, sometimes you might act as the translator interpreter. So you actually get hands-on experience because you're translating everything for the physician and watching the whole process go. Or if you're just assisting to run a medical clinic somewhere, you'll also learn as well. So it's great if you have been an MA, a nurse, or whatever it might be, but you don't have to do that, okay? So just to clarify, but if you do, Uh it's great. It'll Mm -hmm. definitely strengthen your application, but if you don't, there are other ways in which you can really get a feel of what it's like to be a physician and working with them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I absolutely agree. The ones I listed tend to be all jobs, Mm -hmm. but one of the ways I got my clinical experience was by being an interpreter at a free Mm -hmm. clinic. And so, but again, I was like in that room, I was helping Mm -hmm. to like facilitate the communication and explain how medications worked and like, you know, Mm -hmm. and so just being in the middle of that interaction really helped me to understand the work more. And I see a lot of students doing that. So it doesn't have to be a job. It can definitely be volunteer experience, like Dr. Z mentioned, or like that free clinic. And I don't want to make you think that like you have to have a thousand hours of working as an MA (laughs) to get into Mm -hmm. medical school. Some people do. I've seen like 2000 hours of MA work listed on an application, but you don't have to do that. You just have to show that you know enough. And that comes across through your activity descriptions, Mm -hmm. sometimes through your personal statement and through your interview, because they might ask questions in there about like, what are the challenges of being a physician, right? Or what have you seen? Or how will you protect yourself against burnout? And if you don't even know that physician burnout is a thing, then you're not going to be able to answer that question really Mm -hmm. well, right? (laughs) So 
just realize that you need to convince the committee both through your written application and your interview responses, that you're not naive, that you know enough about what it's like to be a physician to commit yourself to medical school, right? Because medical schools don't want students who decide medicine is not for them after their first semester or after their first few years. This has happened to many students. They want students who really know what they're getting into and will remain dedicated to becoming great doctors. It does not look good for the school if they have students who are leaving, right? Mm -hmm. So also you need to have some volunteer experiences and show that you're caring and compassionate, that you think about your community. And there's more details about this in our episode on are you ready to apply? So please listen to that one if you have not. And I'll add, you have to have some research experiences for most medical schools, although not all of them require research experiences. And again, episode 47 for more details on that. But the point is, if if you're lacking on any of those domains and the school really wants you to have experiences in those domains, then that might have been one of the reasons. But one of the things that I see most critiqued is the cl- lack of clinical experience. It's kind of like, is this person just kind of naive? Do they have a naive view of what it's like to be a doctor? Do they think that doctors are just <laughs> like the ones on TV and in movies? They just go in and they save the day in the emergency room all day. Well, that's not representative of all of medicine. <laughs> it's quite a skewed perspective. So the clinical experience just helps you to understand the day-to-day. Okay. And I would say not do it only for the medical application, but do it for yourself. Yeah, because if this is a it's a long road ahead and it's really hard and draining, you want to make sure that this is really what you want to do for the rest of your life, because it's, it's a long term investment. So if you go at that approach where I'm not going into getting clinical experience just to do check off a box, but like, wait, do I really want to do this? Do I see myself doing this? Because it's a long road. Absolutely. Yeah. And I guess one more thing I'll add is that I have seen students who had very little clinical experience get into medical school, Mm -hmm. but they had other strengths. So (laughs) there are so many different ways to be a good applicant. These are just kind of some general rules. And if you are in the boat of reapplying, you need to really look at your application carefully and not just assume that it was your MCAT or GPA. You have to look Mm -hmm. at all those other things that make you a well-rounded applicant. So Tip number three overall for reapplicants is focus on correcting your mistakes and improving your deficiencies. So once you've done an autopsy of your application and your process and figured out where you might have gone wrong, then you need to get to work correcting things, right? So if you need to retake the MCAT, set aside a few months to do that. Ideally, you should take it in the spring so that you have your MCAT score back in time for the new application cycle. Now, if you were one of those students who didn't find out or waited until June to realize that you didn't get accepted, then it's too late to have a few months to take the MCAT and everything. So you really need to start thinking about whether you need to reapply starting in like December and January. Like if you have not gotten any interviews or maybe only one interview, you're kind of in that risky territory. So start thinking about it then. If you need to up your GPA, enroll in some community college or extension or post-bac courses and get that GPA up, right? For some people, just one semester might make a difference. For some people, they might have to take a whole other year to take courses up that GPA and reapply. But if that's what you need to do, that's what you need to do. Like no judgment about it. Just 
just do it. You know, um, students have done it. I've seen it done. It can be done. Don't worry about the time it will take. I know it's a little bit discouraging, but medical schools will still be there in a year or two. And then if you need editing help, please find it. Do as much as you can. Reach out to mentors, to friends who are in medical school, other pre-meds who you think might be better writers or more prepared than you, um, pre-med counselors, anyone who might have experience with the application, right? Now, this can be a little hard because not all the advice you get is going to be really quality advice. But at least the more eyes you have on it to a limit, like hopefully just a few people, not 20 people, (laughs) but the more you get feedback on it, the more you'll be able to identify what you need to improve and maybe get suggestions on how to improve it, right? You can even reach out to us through our website and ask for guidance. If you really need help, if you're having trouble finding someone else that's reliable, we will do our best to connect you with the appropriate resources. We have some graduates of our application coaching program who have offered to help mentor other students so we can potentially connect them with you as well. If you need more clinical research or volunteer experience, then find it and get it, right? And please don't wait until June and then submit your application in August and then all you have is 20 hours, right? You have to start thinking about it early, right? And hopefully if you know that you're in If you're like an average or below average and you're worried about your chances of getting into medical school, from the time you apply, you need to be continuing Mm -hmm. your volunteer engagement, your clinical experiences. Don't stop doing everything and then a year from now be disappointed and all of a sudden you have a year where you didn't do anything. Like, please don't do that. (laughs) That's really risky. And most people continue doing the things that they enjoy anyway. So usually that's not a problem. Anyway, like I mentioned, the timing is tricky. You may not know if you're going to get in or not. There's a lot of uncertainty in this process. Unfortunately, I wish it was different, but just start thinking in December or January about it. And if you're already in the, at the position where you need to reapply, look at your application, find out what you need to do. If you need to wait until the next cycle, it's okay. Wait until the next cycle. Just make sure that when you apply, you're going to be as strong of an applicant as you possibly can be. Anything to add, Dr. Z? I agree. Don't stop working or doing your clinical activities or volunteering experiences throughout the application process. There's a very high likelihood during your interview, you will be asked, oh, so what are you doing now? Uh (laughs) So just make sure you're still doing things that are showing your commitment to medicine in one way or another. And by the way, most medical schools are not going to be transparent with you about what they thought was lacking in your application. They simply have way too many applications. They have thousands of applications. They interview hundreds of applicants. They have too much work to keep detailed notes on every single one. They might have general notes, but they don't have the time to meet with every person who got rejected. If they do offer feedback sessions, they're likely to be pretty general and you might not find them that helpful, to be honest. That being said, please do attend the feedback session if they offer it. Not all schools do, but some do. You may learn something about what that particular school values or what they're looking for in applicants. They may also track whether you attended that feedback session and they'll be able to see it next year so that they can see, okay, did this applicant take advantage of this opportunity to get feedback, even if it was general feedback, right? So yeah, just consider that if it's an option. Okay, and finally... 
tip number four for reapplicants, don't lose hope. If you feel called to the profession of medicine for whatever reason, please don't give up. As I often say, there are as many paths to becoming a doctor as there are great doctors. Your path is unique and your timing may be unique and that's okay. That does not make the goal unreachable. Remind yourself often of why you're doing this. What's your motivation? Repeat it to yourself every morning if you need to. You can write it down and reflect on it, but just remind yourself of that frequently because that's going to help you to stay motivated even when things are tough and even when the road seems so long ahead. Keep that flame of motivation burning bright. And if you do, you will be amazed. You'll look back in 10 years and be so proud of what you accomplished. I know looking back on my path into medicine that I've done that. I've thought back to those really difficult moments, those moments of failure, those moments of self-doubt. And I've thanked my younger self for not giving up because if I had given up, I wouldn't be where I am today. And I'm so grateful for the opportunity that I have to serve people in this unique way of being a doctor. What about you, Dr. Z? Do you ever do that? I do. I sometimes will just go into this train of thought of moments in time where it could have gone a different way multiple times and Mm -hmm. how there's just something in me that just knew that my goal and my mission in life was that this is what I wanted to do. So I would always be brought back to that path. And again, if this is really what you want to do, don't give up. It's okay not to get in the first time around. If you have to reapply, absolutely fine. I didn't get in the first time around, as I mentioned earlier, but it worked out. And, you know, just just don't give up if this is really what you want to do. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And I know so many fantastic people who are either medical students or already physicians who had to apply two or three times. Mm-hmm. So Don't let it get to you. If this is really your dream, this is your goal, you have that drive, just keep going and keep trying and do the best to like listen to that inner voice that's trying to guide you because I really think that that will help to see you through like it did for both of us. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So yeah. Well, thank you everyone for listening. We hope you found this helpful and have a wonderful day. Peace and love.